Thank you, worship team. Thank you, elders. I think everything that was said and sung uh, fits in uh, really well with the message today. So let's pray before we start. Father God, we're thankful to uh, gather again together and to uh, worship you on this uh, frosty morning. Uh, We just thank you, Lord, for uh, your word and just how it speaks into our lives and changes us. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, change our hearts today, that you would uh, mold us into who you want us to be, or that you'd help us to grow in trust and faith uh, as we walk this road that you have us on. Just thank you for uh, this time together and just pray that your your blessing would be upon it, that your spirit would be working in our hearts and, and lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, few things are more anxiety-provoking for me than a malfunctioning motor vehicle. The thought of being stranded on the side of the road with undiagnosed car problems has been a concern of mine that has dominated my thoughts on long road trips. Once when Eric and I were raising support to serve in the Middle East, we took a trip from Wichita, Kansas, all the way up to Marshalltown, Iowa, to visit some friends and speak at a church. At this point, my 2001 Chevy Cavalier was out of commission and in need of repair, so I had the not-so-bright idea of taking Erica's 1995 Mazda 626. Besides, I thought the Mazda is much more comfortable for a long road trip anyway. The first warning sign of trouble was when we left the gas station and the tachometer was moving from two to 3,000 RPM at idle. That's not a good sign. But at highway speeds, the car drove well enough, so we kept on going. Several hours away in Emporia, we had trouble starting the car after we had taken a lunch break at Sonic. Needless to say, I had a lot of anxiety as we drove toward Iowa. But lo and behold, we made it. We had a great time with our friends, and the presentation at the church went really well. It was on our way back, driving down the highway at 70 miles per hour, that the car started jolting. And we limped along to a service station where we called the tow truck, and they eventually picked us up after about 30 minutes. And yet, in spite of all this, in spite of this anxiety-causing situation and the fear that came with that, God's provision and care was evident through it all. Of all the places on the 428-mile journey, we broke down about 30 minutes out of St. Joseph, Missouri, where Erica's father just happens to live. And he was able to come pick us up and take us to his house while they tried to diagnose what was going on with the car. We were not able to salvage the vehicle, but God's hand was evident through it all. He provided in even the most difficult circumstances. Today we are going to look at a passage that speaks about overcoming anxiety and the importance of putting our trust in our Heavenly Father to lead us out of worry. So if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 6, going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34 this morning. Matthew 
Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 34. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Seems that especially today, this passage has much to say to us. We are living in challenging times that test our trust in God's provision. To get a picture of what Jesus is getting at here in this passage, it's helpful to look at the the context of where these verses are placed in the Bible. Uh, This is located near the center of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, as we know it, here in Matthew. Jesus was being surrounded by crowds at the beginning of this this sermon here in uh, chapter 5. It says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So Jesus was being pressed in uh, with the crowds. They were surrounding him. And he went up on this mountainside with his disciples to teach them about the kingdom of God. What does the kingdom of God look like? What does it mean to live in the kingdom? Jesus gives a number of countercultural principles, like love your enemies, don't practice your righteousness before men, and judge not that you be not judged. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, the verse immediately preceding this passage. Matthew 6, 24, he says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And it's not a coincidence that Jesus teaches about money here in this verse, And then immediately proceeds in the next verse to discuss anxiety. Verse 25 says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. He says, you cannot serve God in money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. He uses the therefore to connect to the previous verses. So Jesus is saying here, in essence, that money 
storing up treasures here, looking to possessions to provide security, will not provide the solution for anxiety. How many of us tend to look to that thing, that something instead of someone to relieve that anxiety that we have in our hearts? Maybe you think things like, oh, good, we're getting another stimulus check. That's such a relief. I was really wondering how we were going to make it. Or now I finally have enough food in my pantry to not have to worry about going without. Or now that I have this new car, I don't have to worry about car repairs or breaking down on the side of the road. The point is not that we should fail to plan for the future, live foolishly or wastefully. Rather, Jesus' point is that we must ultimately rely on God for security instead of our wealth or our possessions. Look over with me for a moment at Luke 12, 13 through 21. Luke 12, 13 through 21. This passage is the parable of the rich fool, and it is placed directly before Jesus' words on anxiety in the Gospel of Luke. There's a parallel passage in Luke to this passage we're in here. And it highlights what Jesus is getting at in Matthew. So let's look there for a moment. Luke 12:13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them a parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. And we see in this passage that this rich man, he was putting his stock in what he had, in his surplus. That was when he could rest and say, I don't have to have anxiety anymore. But it was a misplaced trust. The next verse there is an echo of Matthew 6. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. So why was the rich man rebuked by God? Was it because he was rich? No, it was because he was looking to his possessions to provide that security instead of God himself. He was looking to what he had to relieve his anxiety. He was relying on his own possessions instead of the one who provided those possessions in the first place. Our security will always be limited if it is placed in something that can be lost. Our security will always be limited if it is placed in something that can be lost. Something here. Our relationship with our Father, our Heavenly Father, can never be lost. So what are you relying on as a remedy for your anxiety? 
Are you relying on your possessions, on what you have? Are you relying on a person? Let's look back at Jesus' words in Matthew 6, that first verse there, verse 25. He says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So to start here, we have to ask the question, what does Jesus mean by anxiety? What does Jesus mean when he talks about somebody being anxious? Some would define anxiety as worry or fear. Others might describe it as unease about the future, just kind of this unsettledness about what is to come. The Greek word in the passage here literally means to divide. It means to be drawn in opposite directions or pulled apart. So at its core, anxiety is related to this concept of having a a divided mind. You have part of your mind here, but then part of your mind over here. A mind that is drawn into two places instead of one. Let me see if I can illustrate this for you for you here a bit. Uh, it's like when you're you're sitting in church and and the chiefs are playing at noon, but the preacher is going on and on well past 12 o'clock and your mind might be a little divided. You know, you're thinking you're trying to concentrate on the sermon, but you're thinking over here on what's going on with the game and Chiefs are playing at 3:30 today so you, you can relax you can relax here <laughs> It's like when you are out and about and you're trying to get your groceries but you can't help but worrying about the fact that you might get sick or who might be uh, contagious your mind is divided pulled in separate directions It's maybe like when your child was supposed to have been back 2 hours ago And they haven't called or texted you to let you know where they are. You're going to have a mind that's here and there in two places. Jesus says we should not be anxious or have a divided mind about what we eat or drink or what we will wear. He makes the point that your life and your body are far more important than these temporal things. And we have the great privilege in this country of not facing much food scarcity or clothing scarcity like the rest, much of the rest of the world. I think in, in recent times, this crisis that we're in has changed that somewhat, and, and many have had to rely on you know, food banks and things like that for their daily sustenance. But even though many of us are not lacking in these basic resources, we still tend to find something to be anxious about. So what is it for you? Where do you doubt God's provision? Is it with your housing situation? Is it your financial stability or future? Is it whether you will be able to go to school to get a job? How will I pay for that medical bill? How will I have enough to live off of? What if I lose my job? What if I get sick? What my my children's future? And if we think about these things for too long, these these what-ifs, these possibilities can be crippling and can divide your mind in such a way that the joy of your present life withers away under the shadow of these things. So what is Jesus' prescription for 
this type of anxiety. Look at the next verse here, Matthew 6.26. He says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? He says, look at the birds of the air. The word here means to have a locked-in gaze or to look at something in a sustained or concentrated way. This is not just a, a glance around at what's, what's going on. This is focusing intently on the lesson here from the birds. When anxiety is dividing your mind, focus on the evidence of God's goodness. Look at the birds of the air. Have you ever taken the time to just watch the birds or how God provides for their needs? Every time we look closely at the animals in God's creation, we ought to to marvel at his provision and care, even for these small, some would say insignificant creatures. Jesus explains why this is so incredible. He says, They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. In other words, these birds don't make a concerted effort to provide for themselves. And I can imagine this illustration resonates with with many of you who are are used to farm farm lifestyle. Jesus is not saying here, don't store up anything or plan for the future. Rather, he is illustrating how God cares for the birds who do not even take thought for their own provision, for where their food is coming from. So if God takes care of these birds who take no thought for those things, will he not take care of you? He says, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Your heavenly father feeds them. He is actively providing for the birds and the animals. He gives them exactly what they need when they need it. And notice, too, that this care and provision for them is not dependent on their own effort. They do not sow, reap, gather into barns, and yet God feeds them. God works through your effort to provide for you, but his provision for you is not dependent on your efforts. I don't know if that makes sense or not. God works through your effort to provide for you, He works through my job to provide for me. But his provision for me is not dependent on my efforts. I know a lot of people who seem seem to kind of think like this. Well, if I just do this well enough, or if I'm just good enough, or if I pray long enough or read my Bible often enough, then then God will take care of me. Then he'll he'll look upon me favorably. Then he'll uh, take care of my needs. Does a father make his care of his child dependent on how much the child has done for him? Perhaps some fathers would treat their children this way, but it's not like that with our Heavenly Father. He feeds them and he will feed you. Look at the reasoning Jesus gives. He asks a question to illustrate. Are you not of more value than they? Jesus uses this comparison to highlight his point. If God has care for the sparrows and the birds of the air, these small creatures, will he not care for you? 
one who he has created and fashioned with immense care and love. Later on in Matthew 10, when Jesus sends out his disciples to minister, he tells them they have no need to fear. Why? He says, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. God's care for his creation ought to lead us to marvel at his his provision. We ought to see his care and be led to trust even more deeply that he will work in our lives to sustain us and uphold us in the midst of all that's going on, in the midst of this idea that we might have to go without. And this truth is incredibly freeing when faced with the grip of anxiety. I work with people who are struggling with substance use problems. Uh, Alcohol and drugs have a way of destroying lives, and often with these problems that many of my clients have, there's this deep-seated anxiety. A lot of them have, you know, struggled through life, um, struggle with their addiction, how that has taken away a lot of resources. And yet many of them are are limited in, in how much they can overcome these fears because they do not know the love and care of their Heavenly Father. So do you know his care? If you belong to him, you can rest in the fact that he will take care of you. Jesus continues on in Matthew 6 by showing us the futility of anxiety that we cannot use it to change the outcome of events. He says in verse 27, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Who is in ultimate sovereign control of this world? Our Heavenly Father. He knows when our time is up on his earth. He knows the length of our days. He can work in ways and change the course of history if he wants to. We cannot add to our lives by living in anxiety, by living with a divided mind. And I think this is important to remember in this this time of uncertainty. Many people's ideas about life and death have been challenged by this crisis we're going through. And although there are many different opinions and thoughts about what is going on, one key outcome of this pandemic is that people are beginning to reevaluate their lives and the relative ease and security that many of us have had for quite some time now. And it's important to remember that even though we face uncertainty and uncertain consequences, that we serve a God who is certainly in control. He's in control of the length of our time on this earth. You cannot change the future. Only God can change the future. And he is worthy of our trust. Jesus moves on to a second concern, clothing. Why are you anxious about clothing? Verse 28. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Jesus illustrates God's concern, not just for our physical sustenance, our food and drink and what we take in, but for what we have to wear as well, for physical resources. So we may ask at this point, why would this be a concern for Jesus' disciples? 
Eliot's commentary for English readers does a nice job of highlighting why this is so important in that time period. He says this, that people in that time reckon their garments, not less than their money, as part of their capital or material wealth, and often expended on them the labors of many weeks or months. So in other words, in that time, your garments were a key part of your possessions. They were very valuable. It was not just that you could go to the thrift store and, you know, pick up a few shirts or or a coat or things like that. Garments were often put together very carefully and were much more expensive than we are accustomed to today. Jesus even mentions that the lilies neither toil nor spin. They don't produce their clothing. And making clothing at this time was often a very involved process. There was no mechanical loom or machine that could put something together rather quickly. It took a long time to spin and to make a garment. Again, we are told to consider the lilies of the field. When we look at the flowers, at the the flora of nature, we ought to see God's care and concern for us. Again, he highlights that the lilies, like the birds, do not put forth effort to clothe themselves or provide for their needs. It says, even Solomon was not arrayed like one of these. Solomon, the king of Israel, lived at a time of unprecedented wealth and abundance. Second Chronicles 9.22 states that King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. Can you imagine the splendor of Solomon's palace and how he was clothed? It goes into more detail in Second Chronicles 9 if you want to take a look at that at some point. He probably had the best that money could buy at that time, the very pinnacle of fashion. And yet all this does not compare to the beauty of the flowers of the field. Jesus continues in verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? The grass of the field, God clothes the grass, the plants, the lilies. He cares for even the grass, the flowers. Ladies, God cares for your flowers maybe even more than you do. These flowers or grass are temporary. Even that which is used as kindling for the fire God cares for, he clothes. The the oven he talks about here is likely referring to the small oven that people would use to make bread, their daily bread. And often the grass or they go out to the field and uh, take in some kindling to start, start that oven. If God clothes the kindling... Can he take care of you? Will he not much more clothe you? Jesus calls those who are anxious as having little faith. So often we struggle with this just as the disciples did on multiple occasions. If you remember later on in Matthew 8, the disciples are in the boat and there's this great storm that arises on the sea. And they were afraid for their lives. Even these experienced fishermen were were being overcome by these waves. They did not remember who was sleeping in the boat. That here, 
the creator of the universe, God incarnate, Jesus, was with them. And Jesus responds to them by asking the question, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. He rebuked the wind and the waves and there was a great calm. Why are you afraid? It's a question we ought to ask ourselves whenever we are faced with this crippling anxiety. Do we recognize the presence, the care, the love of the Lord in those dark times? The concept of faith that Jesus refers to in this passage has the idea of being persuaded that what God has said is true. So we talked earlier about trusting, being persuaded that what God has said is true. In the ancient world, the word referred to a guarantee or a warranty for something. And it's not like one of those 10-year, 100,000-mile warranties you know, that the car dealer offers. God's promises will come to pass. He is faithful. He is trustworthy more than any other. George Mueller once said that the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith and the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. Do we trust God's provision because we know his character, because we know that he is trustworthy, that he has our best in mind, that he cares for even the little things in our lives? Jesus sums up this section in Matthew 6 with these words in verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Do not be anxious about these things. Do not seek after them. The word Gentiles here refers to the nations or the peoples. It denoted the the non-Jews in Jesus' time. We could maybe translate this as the world. Do not seek after what the world seeks after to calm their anxiety. Don't put your trust there. Is what the world clamors after, filling up lives with more possessions, attempting to rid themselves of the anxiety of not having enough. Don't put your trust there. God knows what you need before you ask him. He knows that we have needs and he will provide for those needs. God is all-knowing says your heavenly father knows that you need them all. He is omniscient. It's the fancy word for it. And this ought to be incredibly comforting to us as we face anxiety. Let me read a little bit here about God's omniscient omniscience from uh, Don Stewart. He says the Bible teaches that God is all knowing or omniscient. So the word omniscient comes from two Latin words, omnis signifying all And scientia signifying knowledge, all knowledge. When we say that God is omniscient, it means that he has perfect knowledge of all things. He does not have to learn anything, and he has not forgotten anything. God does not have to reason things out, find out things, or learn them gradually. He knows everything that has happened and everything that will happen. God also knows every potential thing that might happen. God even knows those things that humankind has yet to discover. His knowledge is absolute and unacquired. 
The omniscience of God means that he has perfect knowledge, perfect understanding, and perfect wisdom as to how to apply the knowledge. When we know that our Heavenly Father has that kind of knowledge, that he knows all the what-ifs, that he knows everything we need, we need not fear going without. We need not fear what could happen knowing that he is there with us. What are we to do instead of seeking after food and drink and clothing, these material things? Seek first the kingdom of God. Verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek first his kingdom. What does this mean? What are we to be seeking? The kingdom of God is is God's rule. His will is to be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is to see the rule of God shown in all of our daily life. To allow him to have that dominion over everything we do. To submit to the king in everything. We are seeking to get a glimpse of the heavenly kingdom now, not completely, but in a, in a small way, to live as servants of the king today. Paul gives us a similar contrast between the physical and the spiritual in 1 Timothy 4.8 when he tells Timothy that while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Food, drink, clothing, these are all physical needs. These are all needs of the moment. And when we seek them, we are meeting the needs of the here and now, which are important. But when we seek the kingdom of God, when we walk in godliness, when we are seeking to serve the king, we are looking to here and the future. We are making an internal investment. We are to seek his kingdom and his righteousness And God will add to us the provision that we need to live. Remember what I mentioned earlier about a a divided mind. Here is our focus. This is the one track that we ought to have. Here's what we need to seek and to pursue, to run after. The kingdom of God and his righteousness. On Friday night, I had a terrible time trying to sleep i was tossing and turning and just about all night and it was incredibly frustrating because i don't usually have problems sleeping and i really value my sleep i was wondering whether i might recover enough to preach this sermon without putting myself to sleep Um, on saturday morning though i was able to take some time to just put on some uh, worship music and just really listen to songs that declared god's attributes and his character and It was amazing that as I turned my focus from my anxiety over not sleeping, from what I was going through, that God was able to take take this burden from my hands. The need was still there. The sleep was still needed. But my anxiety was taken as I released it to the Lord, gave it to him and and entrusted myself into his hand. We need to focus on him, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. And all these things will be added. Let's look at Jesus' conclusion to this passage here in verse 34. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, 
for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus urges us not to look to the future and allow anxiety to steal away our joy in the present. There's enough trouble in each day to be concerned about. He brings us back to this present focus. Don't allow your mind to be divided by the worries here and the worries there, the worries tomorrow, the worries next month, next year. We can get overwhelmed when we focus too far in the future. Another note in in my work as a substance use counselor, one of the things we urge our clients to do is to take each day one day at a time. That's really important when you're trying to recover from an addiction. It feels like each day is a, a challenge. One day at a time. With your anxiety, are you able to take each day one day at a time, maybe one moment at a time, one hour at a time? Don't let your worries about tomorrow steal away your strength or your joy in the moment, in today. So are you anxious this morning? You serve a heavenly father who can be trusted to provide. He is able to give us what we need because he knows our needs better than we do. Are you resting in his care? That he is for you, that he is with you. There's a song on the radio that has been playing in recent weeks. And uh, some of you may have heard it. The title is Sparrows by Corey Asbury. And it goes something like this. The sparrow's not worried about tomorrow or the troubles to come. The lily's not thinking about the seasons, the drought, or the flood. The tree that's planted by the water isn't phased by the fire. So why should I be? Because you take good care of me. You take good care of me. You know what I need before I even ask a thing. And you hold me in your hands with a kindness that never ends. I'm carried in your love no matter what the future brings. And you take good care of me. We have a Heavenly Father that takes good care of us. He takes good care of you. And in the midst of your anxiety and in the midst of your fear, maybe with things that are upcoming in this year, remember His faithfulness. Remember His love. Remember to seek Him and His kingdom. To focus on Him. And all these things will be added to you. Let's pray. God, we have to admit that many of us are weak when it comes to overcoming the worry and anxiety of life. And especially in this time, many of us are struggling with that, maybe with this upcoming year and what is to come, Lord. God, we pray that you would calm our hearts. You would help us know that you are there taking care of us that you are our Heavenly Father and that you care for us more than the birds and the grass, that we are of more value to you. God, I pray that as we go from this place, as we 
uh, serve throughout the week as we do what you've asked us to do, God, that we would seek your kingdom. God, that we would seek to be your servants, Lord, and that as we do that, God, that you would remove these burdens from our hearts, that you'd remove the anxiety, and that you would help us to walk in faith, help us to walk trusting you, help us to walk knowing that you are there. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.